What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today, which is, of course, a sports ethos presentation. My name is Joe Orico, and I am your host. You guys can hit me up with any questions over on Twitter, at JoeOrico99, also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content gets posted from. We're working hard on our draft guide. We've mentioned it over the last week or so since we announced it. And maybe it's been more than a week at this point. Uh, Maybe 10 days or so since we announced it. But we are hard at work. That's going to be coming out somewhere in the middle of February, mid to late February. We haven't put an exact date on it. But our guys are hard at work. My rankings are going to be in there. There's going to be sleepers. There's going to be busts. There's going to be all kinds of different cool things for you guys to check out. Make sure you check out sportsethos.com and follow Ethos Fantasy BB on Twitter. Never miss any of our new stuff. Now we have another position to talk about. It is Friday. New set of rankings to go over for a new position. And it is third base. And it's a couple of tough positions in a row here. Second base and third base. We got shortstop coming up next. So we got at least a deeper position that we can look forward to. Not that third base is awful. But it's definitely not my favorite. Going through the player pool. Looking at second base. You know, it was actually deeper than I had anticipated. You know, there's just the narrative around second base being so terrible. This is my first year doing rankings. I was thinking, oh shit, like this is going to be a horrible exercise. It wasn't my favorite position to go through rankings. But it definitely wasn't as bad as I was anticipating based on the talk that I'd seen around the community. Third base is as bad as advertised. There is no you know, beating around the bush. It's, oh, you know, there's decent value. No, third base sucks. There is no question about it. Third base is an awful position for fantasy. But we're going to get through it. We are going to talk about it here. And we're going to start off at the very top. And there's going to be something that is kind of a little bit surprising here, probably, if you're looking at ADP, if you've been looking at other people's third base rankings, which I've been trying to avoid like the plague until my rankings are done. I mean, I've taken some sneak peeks here and there over the last month or so since people started doing rankings, month, month and a half, however long it's been. I've tried to purge that information out of my head as I'm putting these rankings together. And I think I did for the most part. Looking back at ADP, I don't think I was very much influenced by anybody else. I hope I wasn't. You never know if there's something in the back of your head that's kind of just sticking there. You saw somebody rank somebody a little bit higher or lower than consensus. I, I don't think there's any of that bias going in, but there's always a little bit of unconscious bias. But with that being said... Let's kick it off. Let's start at the top with number one. No surprises here. It's Jose Ramirez. And if you look at the projections, if you look at what we see in terms of the position in general, it's really, he's far and away the best third baseman for fantasy. When you're talking about the 30 home runs, you're talking about likely 100 runs in RBIs or somewhere in that ballpark, you know, 185 plus between the two of them. It's very reasonable. ATC has him projected for 94 runs and 101 RBIs. And they haven't projected to lead in runs and in RBIs at the position. 21 stolen bases he's also projected for. And he's also going to give you a very good batting average. Projected to hit 268. Overall, he is the most complete player at this position. There is a good argument to be made. And I think I'm still working on the overall rankings. But I think that he is going to be number one, despite the fact that I had Trey Turner number one in my initial rankings in October. I did a top 50. And I had Trey Turner one. I had Jose Ramirez number two. Ramirez, I think, is going to jump ahead of him just because of how bad this position is and how vital it is to actually get ahead of everybody else and get a third baseman there in the first round. If you are taking Jose Ramirez in those top three, four, five picks, whatever it is, then you set yourself up for a very good draft, specifically in your shallower leagues. You take care of a couple of shitty positions off the top third base, you know, probably the worst amongst all of them this year. I really think third base might be might be worse than catcher. Overall, it's pretty damn close. But it's really, really tough. If you go for Jose Ramirez in the first, 
and then, you know, maybe a pitcher in the second, and then you get yourself a Varsho or a Real Muto in the third round. I think that makes a lot of sense. Like, I've talked myself into pushing catchers up a little bit more, and I think in general I've talked myself into having third baseman ranked a little bit higher than they probably should be just because of the scarcity of the position. With that being said, though, Jose Ramirez is a very, very solid player to take if you do have the first overall pick. You're getting someone who's fairly durable. You're getting somebody who is going to provide, you know, the upside is 30-30 for him there. I know he did struggle down the stretch a little bit last season. That was something that was talked about, but he was also hurt. And I forget exactly what the injury was, but he did struggle down the stretch, and, you know, it's been attributed to that injury. And I don't think we can look at that and say, okay, he's declining now or anything like that. He is still, I mean, he just turned 30 years old. There's no reason to think that he is going to slow down in any way, shape, or form. Now, if there's anything... He's played a lot considering how old he is. Like, he came up to the bigs when he was 20 years old. Granted, it was only 15 games that year. But, you know, he has more than 1,100 games closing in on 5,000 plate appearances in his career. It's a lot, but I don't think that's something that we can really look at as being, you know, too impactful going forward for him, specifically just for next season. You're still going to get 200 runs in RBIs. You're going to get 30 homers. You're going to get your 20 steals. And you're going to have a solid batting average that could potentially push up even close to 300. We've seen it in the past from him. He's given you 312, 318, 292 in the past. Gave you 280 last year, and I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that he can give you 285 to 300 range batting average as the upside. So Jose Ramirez, for me, he is number one, and it's not particularly close. Now, number two, this is where we start getting into a little bit of trouble, perhaps, because I think a lot of people have, and not trouble for me, but I think I might get some trouble in terms of the responses I get on Twitter and whatnot. So... I do not have Bobby Witt Jr. second. I don't have him third. I don't even have him fourth. And we'll get to him when we get to him. But I have Manny Machado at number two. And I know you guys are probably thinking in your heads, this guy is an idiot. What is he talking about? Bobby Witt Jr. is not number two. Everybody has him number two. We'll talk about that when we talk about that. But right now, let's talk about Manny Machado. And his projections are just lovely. We've talked about the San Diego lineup it feels like, well, I mean, going back to last season, specifically when they got Juan Soto, we've been going over this lineup in depth. We've talked about it on these preview shows. We haven't done our Padres preview yet, but we've done these positional previews talking about different players on the Padres, different picks later in drafts were on the Padres. We've talked a lot about them. They're a stupidly good lineup. Machado is going to be one of the anchors of that lineup, and if you look at these projections, 31 homers, 92 runs, 98 ribbies, 10 steals, and a 273 batting average. Another guy and the only other true five-category contributor amongst third basemen. You know, you could make some kind of argument, maybe that Devers is going to steal a couple of bases for you or whatever, but there's nobody else who's going to give you double-digit steals to go along with elite production in all the other categories at third base, other than Manny Machado and Jose Ramirez. They are the two guys that stand at the top for me, and it's it's really not even particularly close. Like, I mean, you look at the you look at the depth chart for San Diego, and you're gonna have Machado batting third most likely. Maybe he moves down to fourth when um, when Fernando Tatis comes back. His name slipped my mind for a, for a split second there. I guess you go the whole year without talking about him as much as you anticipate to. I guess he isn't gonna be as present in your mind. But when he is back, Fernando Tatis Jr. That lineup is going to be, I mean, even if he wasn't coming back, this lineup would still be ridiculous as currently constructed. But you add in, you know, a potential top five or ten bat in all of baseball there, it's just going to make it even better. The counting stats should be abundant for Machado and for the rest of this lineup. Another guy who's going to give you 200 runs and RBIs put together, not really any question there. 30 home runs, double-digit steals, and a solid batting average. He's projected to hit 273. That's very reasonable to expect that out of him. We've seen him do better in the past. We've seen him do a little bit worse in the past. I think that that's generally 
pretty correct. I mean, for the career, he's a 282 hitter. If he did bat 300, it wouldn't shock you. Probably going to be a touch below. But regardless, he's still giving you that five-category base that you're not getting from anybody else outside of Jose Ramirez. So definitely somebody that I'm looking at late in the first round, mid to late first round. You know, I wouldn't be so opposed to pushing him up a little bit past where he's going by ADP. I'm filtering out, you know, just the recent uh, draft champions since January the 1st. He's going as the 15th pick on average, 15.9. So you could argue that he's just, just barely getting pushed outside of that first round. I'm happy to take him anywhere around pick 10 and beyond because I think even, you know, you might be able to push him up seven or eight because he is really valuable at a terrible position and he's in arguably the best lineup in baseball. So Manny Machado for me, definitely going to be a target at the end of first rounds for this season. Now, next up, we got Austin Riley. I'm a huge fan of Austin Riley. With him and with Rafael Devers, it's very close. The projections are spitting image of each other almost. Devers, 31 homers. Riley, 33. Both projected for 89 runs. It's 97 to 96 in RBIs in favor of Riley, and it's 274 average for Riley, 279 for Devers. They're literally spitting image of each other. Devers projected for four steals. Riley for two at that point. It's It's essentially a wash they both end up with below five steals it's not going to make that much of a difference I mean every steal does count potentially but I'm not going to split hairs based on that the reason that I do have Riley ranked ahead of Devers and I think the ADP is is slightly reversed Devers 20.5 Riley 21 pretty much on the dot is the lineup context and it is it is such a stark contrast looking at the Atlanta lineup versus the Boston lineup Atlanta we just did the preview on Monday with Chris Clegg. You guys should go back and listen to that if you haven't. And listen to me gush over this entire lineup for the entire hour, pretty much, just thinking about how ridiculously good it is one through nine. You know, Eddie Rosario, Marcelo Zuna, whatever, who cares? One through six are as solid as it gets in baseball. Rosario and Ozuna, I mean, Rosario was NLCS MVP, and Ozuna, we've seen him go for crazy home run totals. It's not like they're nothing. They're just not as good as the other guys. And then you got the young stud Von Grisham at the bottom of the lineup. Where with the Boston lineup, you're looking at it and you're like, eh. you know, they've lost quite a few pieces over the years. They're really pretty much just Devers at this point. I mean, maybe Yoshida is really good, but no Trevor Story for the first po- good portion of the year anyway. Uh, you know, Justin Turner is batting cleanup. I mean, they got Adam Duvall in there. They've got Adalberto Mondesi recently added in there as well. But I, as a whole, this lineup is is pretty bad. It's not like you can look at it and expect Devers to, you know, exceed these expectations in terms of the runs and RBIs. I think that what they're projecting here is probably pretty close to a best-case scenario for him, where with Riley, I could very easily see him exceeding what they are projecting just because of the lineup he's in. With Devers in 2021, bit of a more full, complete team, whatever, 101 runs, 113 RBIs. This past season, 84 runs, 88 RBIs. A huge falloff, and the team this year is looking closer to the 2022 team than the 2021 team. Not that team context is everything, but it's definitely going to limit that upside when it comes to runs and RBIs, where you won't have that limit with Riley. Everything else is essentially a wash between the two of them. They're both going to hit in the 270s. They're both going to give you roughly 30 dingers, and they're both going to probably steal, like I said, less than five bases. Anywhere between two and five bases is acceptable range for both of them. So I'm kind of talking about both of them at the same time here, but I really do think that Riley should be prioritized over Devers, even though they are flipped in terms of the recent ADP. Let me reset and look at all draft champions just to take a look at 
what the entirety of draft season has been saying. Devers is about two picks higher than Austin Riley. If you're looking at all of them that have taken place, 83 draft champions. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's crazy to put Devers ahead. Like he is still like I, you know, we just mentioned his stats from a year, one year removed from 113 RBIs, 101 runs, and even last year he, you know, he he lacked a little bit. He did play 15 fewer games in 2022 than he did in 21, but he got the batting average back up to 295, which we hadn't seen him hit with that. You know, it's been a couple of years of a bit of a lower batting average going back to when he had a 311 batting average in 2019. We'd seen it come down a little bit. But this last year, it was a very good year for him, despite the fact that, you know, he missed some time. He didn't miss a ton of time, but 21 games. Overall, the team was not good. They were a bad team, and that definitely had some kind of impact on him. I mean, they were the worst team in the American League East. They probably will be again this year. And a lot of this ranking disparity for me between Riley and Devers does come from the team context. If If you flip the teams around... If, if Devers was on Atlanta and Riley was on Boston, then I'd flip the rankings around. That's that's the huge reason for me because I really do think that they are pretty damn close in terms of the production that they are going to give you. But let's not hold out any longer. Let's talk about the guy that I really wanted to talk about here because I know I'm going to be lower on him than damn near probably every single other person who makes rankings in the industry. But I really don't think I should be. I think that we've prematurely pushed him up to draft him at his absolute ceiling when maybe we shouldn't be doing that just yet. And that's Bobby Witt Jr. Bobby Witt Jr. by ADP is going inside of the top seven or eight picks, sometimes even going a little bit higher depending on what format you're looking at and what you're filtering by depending on when drafts are taking place. These most recent 21 drafts, his ADP is 7.9. His minimum pick is six. The maximum pick is 11. If I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reset it and just see all of draft season where he's going, and it's probably, that's yeah, exactly the same pretty much, 778. In draft champions, the minimum pick for the entirety of draft season on Bobby Witt Jr. is three. Someone took Bobby Witt Jr. at number three ahead of, I don't know what specific draft that was, but they took him ahead of either Acuna or Julio or Judge or Kyle Tucker or any of the other guys going at the top, Ramirez, Turner, it's... I think that we are collectively losing our minds in terms of the way that we are projecting Bobby Witt. We're expecting top seven production. That's why we're drafting him in the top seven. After he gave us a season that was, again, I don't have the Raswell player rater up in front of me, but he was somewhere in the 20s, I believe, mid-20s, late or late 20s, early 30s, and I think Yahoo had him ranked somewhere in the early 40s, like 42 or 43 or something. We are drafting him, expecting a massive jump from what we saw last year after what was already pretty close to a best-case scenario for a rookie. 20 homers, 30 steals. He batted 254. He had 82 runs and 80 RBIs on an awful team. All very good, and you know you, you expect him to get a little bit better. But like we've talked about at length on this show, and you know I've d- talked about it on different pods that I've been on, and everybody has talked about it, growth is not linear as a prospect. Bobby Witt could very easily take a step back. And it's also why I'm a little nervous about Julio Rodriguez as a side note. Like he's not going to be my number one outfielder. I think he's probably going to be three-ish. I think he's going to be probably three. But, you know, if you want to take Kyle Tucker ahead of him even, I wouldn't give you grief. And that's the thing. Like there are these guys who are established who are going a little bit farther down than some of these sophomores. As some of these sophomores, I mostly mean Bobby Witt and Julio, who are probably giving you just as good, just as the same level of production, essentially, as a floor. And we that's another thing that really, as I say it, we don't know exactly what Bobby Witt's floor is. If he has a down year, could that be 12 homers and 17 steals? 
with you know his fairly mediocre batting average, it's totally possible. Like we don't really know what to expect from him, and that's why I have him ranked below guys like Devers and Riley and Machado when they are going ahead of him by ADP. We know who these players are, regardless of team context for Devers or any of these guys. They are better players than Bobby Witt Jr. still. It doesn't matter how many bases Bobby Witt Jr. steals. These guys have given us solid four to five category production for several years now that we are essentially dismissing because of either, you know, the allure of the new. We're seeing somebody that we don't usually see at the top of draft boards, and that always makes things very interesting when there's somebody that jumps on the scene and becomes a huge fantasy asset. And maybe it's the fact that, you know, it is third base and we're pushing him up because of that. I just don't see the reason to push him up ahead of these other guys who are much better players, in my opinion. And I think it is the steals. And I think when it comes down to it, people are doing this because of third base and because of the projected stolen base numbers. Because he is projected to lead the position in stolen bases. And it is by six steals over John Birdie. And John Birdie's projection is probably a little bit high, only 84 games, 23 steals. The only other third baseman by ATC projected to hit 20 steals is Jose Ramirez at 21. So I think there is the allure of we're getting stolen bases taken care of here. We're getting home runs. We're getting some a decent level of production across the board here with batting average being maybe a left behind a little bit because we're eh, his batting average is not great. 254 this past season. He does not walk a, quite a bit. I mean, his strikeout rate is okay, but we're looking at you know, 4.7% walk rate, 21% strikeout rate, a very, honestly, pretty good strikeout rate overall. But he's not somebody where you can expect him to get on base a lot if he doesn't hit himself on base because he just doesn't really walk that much. In the minors, he walked about 9% of the time. Maybe that comes up a little bit. And they're projecting it to come up to about 5.5%, But that's another thing. You know, it's going back to the previous point. We don't know exactly what he's going to be. You're drafting an unknown in the first half of the first round. And I say unknown because, you know, you might say he had 20 homers and 30 stolen bases. Uh, good for him. What if he, like I said, this coming season falls back even a little bit? You know, we need him to get every ounce of that production in there. We need him to excel and exceed what he did last season in order to make the pick worthwhile. This is not a floor pick. This is a ceiling pick for Bobby Witt Jr. at this point. And I just can't get behind it. I really can't. In terms of my overall rankings... I'm probably going to have him somewhere in the 20s or 30s. I just don't see any reason to have him this high up. Could he go for a 30-30 season? Sure he could. He absolutely could. Could he go for 10-10 and or 12-15? and Like, he absolutely could as well. The team around him, not very good. And I've talked about this a lot. Like, I like what they're doing. I like their core. The top four of their lineup is incredible. Melendez, Witt, Sal Perez, Vinny Pasquantino, you know, all of them are going to hit 20 home runs, probably, and they're all going to be very, very solid players, fantasy in real life. Once you get past that, it's absolutely awful. Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, Hunter Dozier, Michael Massey, Drew Waters. Awful. Awful stuff. And, you know, maybe I'm being too harsh on this team because they're I do I don't mind it. I really don't mind them as a whole. I think that they are, you know, positioned to do some, you know, maybe make some noise within the next couple of seasons. But this year, for Bobby Witt Jr. to draft him here, this is like a next year draft price for me. If he does what we're expecting him to do, what we're hoping that he does, which is, you know, look at the projections, roughly 25 homers, 23, 25 homers, 27 to 30 steals, and about a 260 batting average. If he does this again, maybe gets, you know, a little bit better with the batting average, gets the walk rate up a little bit, a couple more home runs, everything improves a little bit, then next year, sure, draft him in the top 10, especially at a weak position, 
with dual eligibility, and maybe he doesn't have shortstop eligibility next season, or maybe he doesn't have third base eligibility next season. I'm really not sure what their what their plan is for him long term. Uh, his splits last season were 98 games at short, 55 at third. It's hard to say what they're going to do long term. He's scheduled in as the shortstop on roster resource, so maybe he loses that third base eligibility if he doesn't play there enough this year, and then he would naturally get pushed down quite a bit in terms of rankings just because <clears throat> excuse me there guys i do think that the third base eligibility is pushing him up quite a bit more than he probably should so that probably seemed like a hit job on bobby witt junior it's not intended as such i still think he is fantastic he is a top 10 and probably even higher dynasty asset probably top 7 or 8 but in terms of redraft, uh, you know, I just, there's a lot of reasons for me not to be in on him at this price. And just quickly to recap, we're, we're elevating him because of stolen bases, because that's, you know, the, the big category there. That's the one differentiating thing from the other guys going in his range is the stolen bases. The team context makes me nervous because there's not really so many guys who are going to be able to drive him in and who are going to, he's going to be able to score in turn. And I just think that as, as a rookie, as a sophomore, essentially at this point, we don't really know what he is yet. So drafting him at the ceiling price, it really doesn't make that much sense for me. I don't want to spend all day on Bobby Witt because I know we spent more time on him than the other guys. But I do feel the need to explain myself a little bit when the pick is a little more controversial. And you guys know me. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I'm not out there tweeting out a bunch of clickbait stuff so that people will listen to the show or so people will click on the articles or whatever. That's not me. That's not my style. I am doing this based on how I genuinely feel the season will go with rankings. That's why he is there. He's not there to, to make a point or whatever or because any, any other crazy ulterior motives. He's there because I genuinely think that he is the fifth third baseman heading into this season. And I think that that's where he's going to end up finishing by season's end. And the guy that we're going to talk about next, you could even make an argument that he might be better than Bobby Witt Jr. But this is where I said, okay, I'll take Bobby Witt Jr. in the stolen bases over an aging, albeit not old, but aging third baseman in Nolan Arenado. And I, I really like Nolan Arenado. No, no question, he is really good. And I did have this debate. I did have a debate in my head a little bit about, is Arenado more valuable than Bobby Witt this upcoming season? Again, you're looking at an incredible lineup. He's projected to do fairly similar things, but it is the stolen bases there. Because here, the projections are, are fairly close you know, I think that they're a little bit too conservative on the RBI and runs put together that you're going to get out of him. Uh, that would be Arenado. <clears throat> they're projecting about yeah, 80 and 95, so you call it 175 put together. I guess it's about what he did last year. It just feels a little bit light in the middle of that lineup. The thing that puts him below, though, is going to be the fact that he doesn't really steal bases. He did steal a career-high five bases this past season, but it's not something that I'd look at as being terribly sticky, terribly repeatable. I mean, maybe he gets you four or five, but that's really where it comes from here, putting him one spot below Bobby Witt Jr. Now, his ADP is 35. He is the end of, and it's. I think that's gone up a little bit. I don't think that he was going quite that high earlier in draft season. Let me reset it and look at all drafts here. 39 is what he was, I mean, what he's done in terms of all draft champions. Uh, he is moving up a little bit. I didn't realize his price was actually that high. It does take me as a bit of a surprise. Like I've said, I've tried to avoid ADP data when I've been doing this. But Nolan Arenado is the end of the kind of early round third baseman that you can take and still be and be happy. Like, you know, there's some guys we're going to talk about later on. And you're still going to be happy with taking them. But your, your top six guys here, 
they are definitely the ones that you're going to be targeting at the position above everybody else. Like, <clears throat> if you can get one of these top six third basemen, you're really setting yourself up for success. Arenado is the end of that tier. And the next guy that we're going to talk about afterwards, Alex Bregman, it's not like he'd be a bad player to get by any means, but I think that the production definitely falls off after these top six. And it's tiered a little bit differently. Like, I think that I would tier it Ramirez and then Machado, and then the next tier would be all those other guys, Devers, Riley, Arenado, and Witt. And then we'll we'll move on to another tier. But with Arenado, there's no real concern with anything. You know, he's going to hit you those home runs. He's in an incredible lineup. Every year going back to 2015, he's given you at least 30 home runs. And this was the fewest home runs he'd given you going back to 2014. Like he had 42, 41, 37, 38, 41, throw out 2020. And then you had 34 and 30. Like the home runs are going to be there. In terms of everything else, RBIs, runs, those are going to be there for him as well. 100 and 100 is what he's done in his career. The runs have fallen off a little bit in St. Louis, but I think that it's not a tall order to see him getting back to like 85-ish, like they're projecting on the bat. The bat X has him for 77. ATC has him for 80. In that range, and I think even a little bit higher, is what you're going to get out of him in terms of your run scored. So 73 this year, actually the lowest he's had going back to 2014. Again, like the home runs. But it's not something I'd look at and say, oh, his, his stats are on the decline here. I wouldn't say that at all. He batted 293 this past season, even though getting away from Coors Field, it was a little bit of a worry. You know, his batting average, always very good in Coors Field throughout his career. 2020 was a short year. Not so great, but you didn't really look at it because it was only 48 games he played. His first year in St. Louis, 157 games. He had 255 batting average, and I think people were thinking, oh, you know, no more Coors for him, no more Coors boost to the average. This year, 148 games, he batted 293. So he kind of dispelled those those worries, and I do think that he is pretty solidly the number six third baseman this year. If you did want to put him at five and put him ahead of Bobby Witt, I know nobody else is going to have Bobby Witt at five probably, but if you did, I wouldn't hate it, but I do think that Witt is still just a bit ahead because of the security you get in stolen bases. I mean, Arenado gives you more security in terms of the counting stats because of his lineup, but I still have Witt just slightly ahead of him. Uh, as of right now. <clears throat> now, as I mentioned, the next guy that we have up is Alex Bregman, a very safe draft pick. And if you do want to wait a little bit on the position, he makes a lot of sense going to pick 81 over these last 21 drafts. I think that there is something to be said for taking one of these early third basemen in the first two, three rounds and really securing that position for yourself, not having to worry about it so much, specifically in your shallower formats. You know, if you are in a DC or whatever, you have to kind of take three, four, five, seven, how many third basemen to make sure that you're secure. If you're talking about the third base slot, you're talking about your corner infield slot, maybe at a utility slot as well, and then all your bench presences you're probably looking at just one, maybe two that you need in shallower leagues. So if you secure one of those early ones, it's definitely a good strategy. But if you don't, and you're getting back to this point where you're talking around five or six, Alex Bregman is going to be sitting there most likely. And he is somebody that I'd really think about taking. I mean, Alex Bregman is still in an incredible lineup. We've talked about the Houston lineup as well. He's probably going to be batting third. That's where he's projected to bat. That's where they like to hit him. He's got protection in front of him and behind him like nobody's business. He's got Altuve and Michael Brantley hitting above him. <clears throat> He's slotted into the third slot. And then Jordan Alvarez, Jose Abreu, and Kyle Tucker and Jeremy Pena right after him. He's secure in his runs. He's going to get driven in if he gets on base by Alvarez and Abreu and Tucker. I don't know if there's any more security you could possibly have in a position in baseball than having those guys bat behind you. Now, he's going to have Altuve and Brantley on base probably 
quite a bit. Those guys, high batting average, high on base percentage guys. He should not lack in any counting stats. Alex Bregman, I think, is a pretty sneaky play this year because of the fact that he is going 50-odd picks, 45, 40, whatever it is, six-odd picks after the next third baseman going, which is Arenado. You wait a little bit. If that is your game this year, if you want to wait on third base, then he is the guy to wait for. If you don't want to take one of those early guys, if you, if you let's say you don't want to take one of those early guys and you miss out on Bregman, I wouldn't feel great about it going forward. I would feel a little bit worried about what you're going to be able to do at third base. There are still options there, but they really start to thin out. I mean, especially after Arenado, but even after Bregman, like it's just another whole level of thinning out. Even though the home runs aren't quite what they used to be, the batting average, probably not quite what it used to be either. But we got to remember, he ran a horrible Babbitt last year for like most of the year. First half of the year, I think he had the worst Babbitt. He ended up with a 260. And nothing's ever been a crazy high Babbitt guy, but 285 for the career. It's something that you probably will expect to bounce back. He's walking more than he is striking out, which is definitely something that is always attractive on base leagues, especially. But even just what he does for you, it's going to be 20 to 30 home run range. It's hard to predict exactly what he's going to do because we've seen as much as 41 in the sticky, not the sticky, in the juice ball era. Uh, the juice ball season of 2019, he gave you 41. The year before, it was 31. We've also seen 23 and 25 from him. We saw 19 in 2017. I'm not really sure exactly what his home runs per year is going to be uh, over these next few years, but definitely somewhere in the 20 to 30 range, probably closer to 25 than anything else. And those 200 runs plus RBIs together, very much possible. And, and you know, I'm not going to say likely, but he's going to give you at least 170. Like that's that's going to happen. This past year was 186 put together. In that lineup, the possibilities are absolutely untold in terms of what he can give you there. Not going to steal for you. Something that we saw from him a couple of times. We saw it in 2017 and 2018. He had 27 bases stolen combined in those years. 2017, he had 17 steals. And then 2018, he had 10 then it was five, and then it was zero, and then it was one, and then it was one, and now we're just, there's not really any stolen bases to be had there with Alex Bregman anymore, but you're still getting pretty much everything else, albeit the average is not quite what you'd like it to be. It's still a positive, though. He is still a positive in the batting average department, especially with what will likely be a turnaround next year, assuming that BABIP gets back to where it should be, which is about 285, 290 range you can hope for. He was over 300 in terms of his BABIPs a couple times. Even if he gets back to like 270, 280, that average goes from 260 to 270. And that is quite a bit better than 260, especially when you're factoring in everything else that he does. So definitely he is the first guy to look at in tier, I guess it would be tier three of third baseman. And he is going to be somebody that I'm targeting a lot once it gets to this range. Assuming that I missed out, and even if I didn't miss out earlier on in drafts, you know, you thin out the pool a little bit more. You stick him in a utility slot. Let's say you took Jose Ramirez. There's no reason not to take Bregman. You don't really need him. But you make it harder for other teams to fill out the position and you get a solid utility player and a backup at third base should one of the other get injured or something. So definitely somebody to be considering in all circumstances. Alex Bregman, big target of mine for this season. Now, number eight, he's here because of default. To be honest with you, he's here because there's not really anybody else who I think is going to compete. And the thing is, we don't know what he's going to be yet. We're talking Gunnar Henderson. I, sometimes I do that where I do this preamble before I mention the name of the player. It's Gunnar Henderson. I feel pretty good about him. I also feel like he might be a little bit overpriced in terms of the overall 
pricing here. Like he's going inside the top 100 picks. He's gone as low as 64 in these drafts that have taken place in 2023 so far. Maximum pick of 106. I think that this is where he should stand in terms of third baseman because he is giving you still, he's going to give you solid power numbers, probably solid steals numbers as well. And we've talked about, you know, earlier that that five category production is kind of gone after the first two players. You know, Bobby Witt, if he gets the average up, potentially could get there. And, you know, I don't think he will, but he could get there. And so could Gunnar Henderson. He's projected for 19 homers, 70 runs, 68 ribbies, 10 steals, and a 253 batting average. If he gets that batting average up to like 270, <clears throat> then we are talking about somebody who does fit that mold of the early round targets. Now, he wouldn't have quite the same number of home runs as Ramirez and Machado, but he's still going to give you somewhere in the 15 to 20 range. You know, Steamer thinks 21, ATC 19. There's a bit of variance there, of course, because we're still not sure what he's going to be at the big league level. But I do think that he's somebody where he kind of fits into this spot simply because there's nobody else to where it logically makes sense to rank them as number eight. When you're talking about the home runs and the or the power and the, and the speed upside that he possesses there, I think that there's... You know, there's a lot of reason to like him. I just think that in an overall context, I don't know that I'd want to be taking him inside the top 100 picks. Like, I like him as the number eight third baseman, but that should probably be, like, pick 110 or 120, just considering what else is out there and how risky these sophomore players are. And he's essentially a rookie. I mean, I don't know if he... He had 132 plate appearances. I think he still qualifies as a rookie, actually. I'm not even sure if he met the qualifications. I'm not great with the minor league prospect stuff. I think he's still a rookie. Um, but regardless, we don't know exactly what he can be yet. In 34 games last year, four homers, one steal. He batted 259. They moved him all over the infield, <clears throat> which was really nice to see in terms of future eligibility possibilities. He had 24 times at third, seven times at short, three times at second. I think that he's probably going to play more third base than anywhere else, and I believe that that's what the depth chart here reflects. Actually, they have him slotted in at short, and they have Ramon uh, Urias slotted in at third base. Maybe he does play more short than third. Maybe we're also looking at another situation like Bobby Witt Jr.'s where that eligibility is kind of, you know, not going to be long-lasting. Maybe, I don't really know. It's, It's hard to say how much they're going to play him at certain spots. I think they probably want him to play short. But uh, he played mostly third last year, so I'm really not sure what they're going to do long term. But I do think that he is a fine draft pick kind of in this general range. I think that where he is going on average at 90 is probably the higher end of that range. I'd prefer to have him at like 110, 120. I'm not sure you're going to get him there in most places. In the NFBC specifically, probably not. But once home league drafts start opening up, Yahoo and ESPN, I think ESPN has opened up their draft board. I should really check out ESPN's ADP. But as of right now, I think that in in the thir- terms of third base context, he's fine there as the eighth guy. In terms of the overall context, uh, he's where I start to feel worried. He's the first name. You probably hear it in my voice where I'm a little bit worried about having him as my starting third baseman going into next season. The top seven guys, totally confident. Totally fine there with Gunner. I think we're going to be good, but I'm still a little bit nervous at the same time. Next up here, we got my boy, Matt Chapman, coming in at number nine. Now, I have him a couple spots ahead of where he's going by ADP. He's going at number 12 based on ADP. I like him a little bit more than that. The projections are pretty big on him for this upcoming season. They're expecting, you know, uh, to him to be among the home run leaders, him to be among the counting stats leaders as well. And I I think that that's probably 
you know, fairly accurate. Nothing that they're projecting seems to be too crazy for me based on what we've seen in previous years from him. You know, they're calling for 28 homers, 78 runs, 78 RBIs, and a fairly low batting average. Once you're getting to this point, though, with third base, and, you know, just to reiterate, it sucks. It's absolutely dreadful. There is not really anybody who's given you that great production anymore. And it, it literally is that bad. Like, once you get past this group of guys, there's the odd person projected for more home runs than Chapman. You know, Eugenio Suarez projected for one more home run. And Max Muncy, who I'm fairly out on, if you guys heard the second base show, I'm fairly out on him as well. He's projected for the same amount of, projected for the same amount of home runs. But you're really thinning out everything once you get to, like, seven or eight third basemen deep. The 20 home run upside is essentially gone. You know, that 170-ish runs and RBIs upside probably pretty much gone at that point there might be one or two stragglers who you could maybe make an argument for maybe you could make an argument for for max muncie in that regard or suarez but for the most part we're pretty thin at this point matt chapman's projections are probably fairly accurate just because they are what he does every single year and you know he took last year to kind of Get acclimated to Toronto, potentially. You know, it wasn't maybe his best, and it wasn't even that bad. He still gave you 27 homers, 83 runs, 76 RBIs. He stole two bases for you, and he had a 229 batting average. Now, he also cut his strikeout rate, which it didn't seem like it if you're watching Blue Jays games, but he went from a 32% strikeout rate to a 27% strikeout rate. He had fluctuated a little bit in years prior. For the career, he is 27%, so it does look like he is generally in line if you just look at you know his career numbers. But these last couple of years have been a little bit harder for him at the plate uh, in terms of swing and miss. So it's good for him to get that number back down a little bit. He's going to be somewhere in the middle of this Blue Jays lineup, which I'm, I'm certain is not going to be as sticky as we've seen in previous years. I do think that Schneider, and you know, I'm assuming Schneider is going to stick around in the role because they did bring in uh, Don Mattingly as a bench coach. I think that he is kind of a backup plan. If Schneider doesn't go according to what they're expecting, then maybe Don Mattingly is somebody who could be a fill-in there potentially. Um, but Matt Chapman, I, I think that we could see him bounce around a little bit more in the lineup than what we saw last year. He's currently projected about sixth. There might be times when he's batting fourth or fifth. Maybe he even bats third sometimes, depending on if they give Vladdy a day off, move things around. I believe we did see that a few times last year. So he's somebody who is going to move around in that lineup, a very good lineup. You're talking 30 home run upside because we've seen it before. We've seen him hit 36. And Again, it was 2019. You know, stop me if you heard it before. He did it in 2019. But he's done 24, 27, and 27. And the projections all have him beating his home run total from last year. And especially with these new dimensions at Rogers Center, you know, I don't really know exactly what to make of it because we haven't seen it in game yet. I have no idea what it's going to actually look like. They've brought the fences in by roughly 10, 15 feet in the power alleys and raised them by a couple feet in certain places, lowered them in other places. It's all rather convoluted. The whole Rogers Center renovation seems a little bit strange. They're turning the ballpark into a nightclub, essentially. I don't know. They're trying to attract a more casual fan, I guess. Sure, whatever. But they're changing up a lot of things. I'm not really sure what the ballpark is going to look like, but from most accounts, there should be a couple more balls leaving the yard that maybe didn't last year. So those balls that you know die at the warning track in the power alley, yeah, likely to be home runs this year at the Rogers Center. Matt Chapman, he's a consistent player. Every year, he's given you about 150 games. This past year, 155, 151 the year before. Only 37 in the short year, but before that, 156 and 145. He's pretty consistent, and I'll say it for the millionth time on the show, 
being healthy in the past doesn't mean you're going to be healthy in the future. But I'll certainly take it over somebody who hasn't been healthy in the past. It's definitely something to look at. Not too closely, but something to, to consider in that regard anyway. He's going to be good. There's no question in my mind he is going to be good this coming season. And I, I think that you should prior, yeah, prioritize him a little bit, especially if you miss out on those earlier third basemen. Because I do still feel comfortable slotting him in there to the everyday third base slot. He's not somebody where... I feel more comfortable in a utility slot. I think that you're totally fine if you have him there at your third base position. And I think that you could push him up even a little bit based on this ADP at 166. If he's going inside the top 150, it's nothing that's going to give me trouble at all. I think that you could push him up probably a round or two, and there will be no problem there, especially considering how shitty this position is and how shitty it gets really after him, even you know right before him. Gunnar Henderson's fine. But I don't even feel that comfortable with him. Like, it's really, truly those first seven guys where you're totally confident and comfortable slotting them into your lineup every single day. And then after that, you're still pretty confident in certain guys. You know, we mentioned Eugenio Suarez, Cabrian Hayes, Alec Bohm. Certain guys we're going to mention, eh, you feel pretty okay about it. But those top seven guys, it's really a year to go out and get one of them at third base because... Once they're gone, the pool really, truly thins out. And we're going to talk about number 10 here in just a second. But it really shows you when you hear who number 10 is. And again, I've jumped up a little bit on ADP, ADP here, but it just goes to show you how, how generally weak this position is. Now at number 10, again, this is another one where maybe people won't generally agree with me, but truly, I tell you from the bottom of my heart, these are this is how I feel. This is based on looking at projections, prior year stats, using my own noggin. I think that Ryan McMahon should be ranked as the number 10 third baseman heading into this season. He is going on, based on ADP, as the 17th third baseman. There are guys going ahead of him, like we mentioned. Max Muncy, I'm not in on Max Muncy ahead of him. Jose Miranda is fairly close, and he is going to be probably number 11. when we. You know, he's right now at number 11 on my list, but there's potential for that to move around a little bit. Uh, Eugenio Suarez, Cabrian Hayes, Alec Bohm, Brandon Drury, Josh Rojas. These guys are all being ranked ahead of Ryan McMahon, and I don't really see why. With Ryan McMahon, first of all, Coors. Coors, Coors, Coors. It reminds me of that scene from The Sopranos. I don't know why. It's completely random, but where they're going to send Anthony Jr. off to military school, and they're doing some interview with with the military school guy, and he says, forget how they start the conversation off, talking about, you know, the regimen there and everything else they're going to have to do. And he says, the core, the core, the core. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. If you've seen The Sopranos, you might know it. I have an encyclopedic knowledge of that show because I've seen it a million times. But the core, the core, the core. They're trying to get him to join up into the military. And it just reminded me of Coors, Coors, Coors when I said it there for a second. Anyway, for the probably one person out there who might be chuckling a little bit right now, that one was for you. But we're looking at Ryan McMahon. He is going to bat third in this lineup, projected to bat third in this lineup. Behind Jonathan Daza, Chris Bryant, ahead of C.J. Crone, Charlie Blackman, Brendan Rodgers, Randall Gritchuk. Not a terrible lineup. It's honestly not, you know, uh, it's not great. It's not a lineup that I'd want to put money on ever, but not bad. It's really not as bad as we might think just because they are Colorado. Eh, they're not a great team to begin with, and I'm trying to be a little bit kind here. They won 68 games last year. They suck, essentially, but I mean, I'm trying to be, you know, more, I'm trying to be more friendly here on the pod. I know sometimes I can be a little bit of curmudgeon in terms of the way I view certain players, <clears throat> certain players, certain teams. But they're not that bad. That ballpark is incredibly good. You know, I saw a tweet earlier today from Codify, Codify, Codify. I'm not even sure how it's pronounced. It was the first eight years at Coors Field when it was since it was created. 
uh, not now, but the first eight years at Coors was a field. The batting average of Rockies players, the team batting average there was 326. This is not Todd Helton's batting average or Larry Walker's batting average or whatever. This was the team batting average for eight years. That park, and there's been some changes. I'm not sure exactly what, but it's not the exact same dimensions and everything else. But that park leads great, creates great hitters, right? I don't think Ryan McMahon is a great hitter by any means, but he's given us three straight full seasons of 20-plus home runs. He's going to drive in between 60 and 70. We saw it in 2019 and 2021. He drove in more than 80. This past season, it was 67. He scored only 67 times. It was a little bit of a down year. But in general, it was kind of a down year for him. The home runs are a little bit lower. You know, uh, overall, eh, strikeout rate went up from the previous year. It, it wasn't a great year for him in general. I mean, overall, again, not a great player. But in terms of what he's going to give you at this point in the draft, and he's going past pick 200, 216. You're getting 20-plus homers. You're getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 130, 140, potentially as many as like 160 or 170 runs and RBIs put together, and you're getting some steals, right? The last three full seasons, it's five steals, six steals, and seven steals. He's projected by ATC to have seven, and he's projected to give you somewhere in the neighborhood of a 250 batting average, depending on where you look, about 247. My thing is, once you get past this point, you're not even going to get that anymore. 20 home runs to go with close to 10 steals is very hard to come by at any position, but specifically at this position. You know, he's projected for the 11th most home runs. He's projected for, I believe, the 11th most steals as my computer. If you guys saw PitchCon yesterday, uh, my computer sometimes can give me a lot of grief. But I believe he is projected for the 11th most steals as I'm waiting for this to load. Occasionally, I give you guys really great radio like this. Uh, yes, yeah, seven steals. He's projected for the 11th most steals and the 11th most home runs. Overall, he's not great. But once you get past this point of the player pool, no one really is. You know, there are certain players where you, people might say Jose Miranda. How would you rank Jose Miranda behind Ryan McMahon? He's ranked seven spots ahead of him by ADP. He's going, you know, 60, 70 picks ahead of him. Well, you might say I'm crazy. Some people will, and I'm sure I'll get some messages back, specifically about the Bobby Witt thing. But if you look at the projections, McMahon for 21 homers, Miranda's projected for 18. McMahon for 73 runs, Miranda projected for 64. McMahon projected for 73 RBIs, Miranda for 70. McMahon for seven steals, Miranda for two. The only place where Miranda beats him in the projections is by batting average, and it's by 17 points. That's it, and we're ranking him that much higher. Now, you might say it's the dual eligibility, but first base, you know, it's, it's not a great position, but it's fairly deep, and I don't think that first and third eligibility is the reason why people are drafting Jose Miranda there. Maybe they think it's the upside. The upside definitely doesn't hurt, but if you're looking at this raw projections, and, you know, I'm throwing in my own, my own spin on these as well, it's hard not to want to take McMahon a little bit higher than where he's going. Specifically, you know what? Take him where he is going. Hell, if that's where everybody is taking him. If you want to let people take a Brian Hayes and Alec Bohm and Miranda and Max Muncy ahead of him, then let them let them do it. For me, I'm taking McMahon where he is going, maybe even a little bit higher. Pick 216 overall. You're really not paying up that much, regardless of your format. It's it's fairly fairly reasonable price like 216 and a 15 teamer you're talking like the 14th 15th round 
that makes a lot of sense. Probably not, maybe not as your starting third baseman, but even then, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think that you could legitimately slot him in as a starting third baseman and be pretty happy with it. Based on the projections, if he reaches them, they're pretty much in line with what he does every year anyway. That would be, for me, a top 10 third baseman. Going beyond him at this point, it's a little bit risky. And, you know, even you look at the numbers for, for all these guys. Gunnar Henderson. No one in their right mind, including myself, would rank Gunnar Henderson ahead of McMahon, but you could make the argument that you could. The home runs are projected to be within two. The runs projected to be within three. RBIs within five runs, or excuse me, stolen bases within three and within six batting average points of each other. It's really, really close. Like, there is not much to separate them. I think Henderson obviously has the higher upside. They're both, the lineups are essentially a wash between them, maybe a bit better in Baltimore. But it's, you know, McMahon is fairly underrated is the point I'm trying to make here. Given that he's in Coors as well, that batting average, which has never been historically that great, he could potentially be, you know, a 260 hitter, a 255, 260 hitter. Wouldn't shock me at all with him, considering he's got a little bit of speed as well. Um, but yeah, that is my top 10 third baseman. I'm going to tweet out the list as well because I, I'm a sucker for punishment. We're going to see what the general public thinks of this as well. But that is the top 10. We are going to be back on Monday. Now, these are going to be on pause until Tuesday. I'm just thinking about for a second if I want to put out the second part on Monday. But we got Joe Pizapia here. I'm not going to make Joe wait till Tuesday. Of course, we could record on Monday and then put it out on Tuesday. But I like to get it when it's fresh out there right as I record. I edit it afterwards and put it out there. I think that's what we're going to do. We'll get back to third base rankings on Tuesday, and then we'll keep going. And I think we're, we're actually moving along pretty well here in terms of our schedule for previews, for timing, for everything. I think that it's all going fairly swimmingly. Uh, we'll have all these rankings done. I'm going to – well, let's see. If we're doing a position a week, we'll have shortstop and then outfield and then pitching. I mean, they should be done by the end of February, and by the time that draft guide is out, yeah, they'll be, they'll be done. So we're going to be doing like the next month is going to be – a lot of previews, a lot of team previews, and also a lot of rankings. And that's pretty much our content for the rest of the offseason. We're going to do mock drafts as well. And we're going to do some weekend shows, and we're going to have a little bit of fun. But that's pretty much what we got going on here. If you guys enjoy it, if you guys want to support, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast. There are a lot of people who listen to the show who don't actually subscribe to the show. Hit that plus button or whatever the button is on your particular service. really means a lot to me and to us here at Sports Ethos, the support. This has been the most downloaded month of the podcast. I've mentioned it before, but I wanted to say thank you once again for making January 2023 our biggest month ever. It surpassed our previous biggest month by like 20% almost. So maybe some people are just coming back into baseball season. Maybe we're growing a little bit here. Whatever it is, I appreciate you, the listener, for being here with us. If you guys want more of my work and our work here at Sports Ethos in general, check me out at JoeOrico99 on Twitter, also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where all the content's going to be posted, all the draft guide stuff, all the podcasts. Everything is going to be going out at Ethos Fantasy BB. And of course, go check out sportsethos.com for the rest of our coverage across all four major sports. Wagering, we have fantasy, we have literally all of it going on, so make sure you check it out. Guys, it's the weekend. It's time to go crack a beer and enjoy ourselves for a couple days, write a couple of articles, get a couple of things done, do some drafts. I might be up in a couple slow drafts. I got to check my phone, but I will let you guys go. Until we see you on Monday with Joe Bizapia, have a great weekend, everybody. Take care and cheers.